I'm constantly impressed with how sharp the fans are and how quickly they're able to put something together with very, very little information. Season four, the kids are in high school. So in a way, high school naturally lent itself to, without question, the darkest season yet. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. In 1993, twins Matt and Ross Duffer, age nine, received a Hi8 video camera for Christmas, marking the beginning of their filmmaking career. The brothers began shooting movies almost instantly, with little more than their own imaginations and the help of their neighborhood friends. 23 years later, after countless meetings, pitches, and rewrites, the Duffer brothers introduced the world to their first TV show, Stranger Things. Little did they know the eerie 80s-inspired world that they had created would become a cultural phenomenon, spanning multiple generations and millions of viewers across the globe. I'm here now with Matt and Ross Duffer to talk about how they brought Stranger Things to life and what we can expect from the fourth season of the show. Just a heads up, they can be a little tricky to tell apart on audio. In an attempt to make deciphering them a little less difficult, here's Matt. I'm Matt. And here's Ross. I'm Ross. Thank you for talking with us. Matt, Ross, I'll get it. I'll get it. I mean, you do, you are for our listeners, it's great because they do sound a lot alike and they look a lot alike. They're both very <laughs> handsome in their editing bay with with proper scruff happening here and uh, sweatshirts and hoodies and whatnot. But Matt has longer hair and Ross has shorter hair. I guess that's how you do it, right? Yeah, sometimes. Although I usually just cut it short and then when in production and post, I just let it get out of control. So, but yeah, we are. And so we are, in fact, identical twins which is something actually we didn't know officially till last month. It was, we just, ne- our parents never knew if we were fraternal or identical for sure. We looked so much alike when we were kids. We assumed we were identical, but you never know. Like the Olsen twins aren't identical, right? So finally we got the test, confirmed we are in fact identical. Oh, wow. Fun fact. I didn't know that about the Olsen twins. This is so exciting. I've interviewed a lot of siblings in the industry in my like 20 years of doing this. And it's just, it's super exciting for me. So I'm like kind of fangirling over here a little bit. All right. So I watched the four episodes of season four, and I am not going to say anything on this show because I know we can't have any spoilers, but wow, is it good? Uh, it was really, yeah. uh, it's excellent. So no surprises there for, for anybody um, that is a fan of the show. It is excellent. So they are in for a real treat uh, with season four. But you guys have been doing this a long time. You started making movies together as a kids, correct? That, that, yes. Yeah. Our, our, our parents got us uh, a video camera. I think it was in the fourth grade as a Christmas present. And, uh, and we started making little movies then. Obviously, they're a little rough around the edges, but um, we fell in love with it and we just kept kept doing it and never never really stopped. Do you remember that first moment, like either one of you, like what were you watching on television or a movie that made you think you could do this? I, I don't know. We Well, we fell in love pretty early. I think we were, it was around, was it kindergarten? I was, whenever we saw, it was, we saw the trailer for Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. And then I became obsessed with seeing that. It was PG-13. My mom didn't want us to see it. Eventually, convinced her to let us rent it it was blew our minds 
And then we figured out this guy, Tim Burton directed it and his style was so distinct. Even when we were that young, we were able to track his style across film. So we were able to start becoming like fanboys of this Tim Burton director. And I don't know even if we were aware of it at the time, but started to learn or understand what a director was, that a director had a vision that he was like kind of imparting on this material and slowly it seeped in, I guess, over time that this is something we wanted to do. We were also into acting. We're terrible actors. Um, <laughs> thank God we did not pursue that. We realized that. But um, of course, you didn't. we had to act in all our early films because it was impossible to recruit but so many children for these films. Um, we started with stuffed animals and then graduated to filming ourselves and our friends. You know, we'd always make one movie over every summer from the fourth grade through all the way through high school. And then we went to film school. So we've never like never stopped making stuff. And you guys which is always my advice to people, which is just make keep making, keep trying. Just keep doing it. And you guys didn't yeah. grow up in a Hollywood environment mm-hmm. over the hill in the valley or in Santa Monica or any yeah. of that stuff. Right. You you came from the other part of uh, the country. Yes. From Durham, Durham, North Carolina. So um, it, it was not a lot of um, you know, Hollywood felt, Hollywood felt very far away, uh, to us, but we were, we were pretty determined and it certainly made us, our love of, of film and making these things was, it was more difficult back then, I think to, you know, you, you didn't have your phone that you could just point at things and and edit it together on this little device. So it was a little more, it was, it was definitely strange what, what we were doing, but it certainly helped with our class projects and got us some got us some good grades. Because if you could edit something together back when we were growing up, it was people were were pretty impressed. But then, unfortunately, in high school, people got you know, would see a video that one of us did. And then I just it every week from then on out through my entire high school uh, life, we would just be making videos for other people's class projects to try to get them A's because instantly, if you put together a video back then, uh, the teacher was, was impressed. I do think it'd be, it'd be harder to stand out now because like yeah. the cameras, I mean, the cameras on these phones are amazing. Everyone's got pretty good editing software and it was so hard to get any of that stuff, but at least we had digital, I mean, we weren't shooting on film. We were shooting on these high eight, uh, digital cameras. Mm. But, you know, Durham is it's that's Duke. It's, you know, we're right by UNC. It's just all anyone cared about was basketball, which we love, too. I mean, we grew up watching a lot of college basketball, but we were not athletically gifted. So didn't fall into that um, to the disappointment of our dad. But our dad, fortunately, was not just a sports guy. He was a huge movie buff. And he just took us and no, none of his friends were. So he just took us to everything, any, you know, adult film, not adult, like R-rated films, art house films, big budget studio films, everything. And anything we wanted to see, he took us to. So every week we'd go to the movies and just watch, watch, watch. Um, we were definitely more movie guys than TV guys. If you told me back then we'd wind up in TV, I'd be excited, but kind of surprised. Hmm. Here we are. I've worked with a lot of photographers that are duos and husband and wife and 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 whatnot and and you you see a lot of there are siblings obviously in in Hollywood that work together. So what do you think it is about the two of you other than obviously being twins and connected in a different way works? I mean, I do think it's just us having that shared childhood experience really helps things. And like Matt said, we've been doing this so long. And even prior to that fourth grade video camera, 
we would get take out our toys this is when we were really young we we love action figures and we would set a timer for two hours because we knew that was the length of the movie and we would imp, sort of improv um, this story together with our with our action figures and i just think that um you know so from when we were very young to now we were telling stories together and i think you know of course we're, we don't agree on everything, but generally we see eye to eye and the twin factor does help in that we can share a look and we know what the other one's thinking. And again, 99% of the time we're, we're on the, we're on the same page and something like a show like this is such uh, there's just so much to do. So it really does help to have someone else there that you can check things with and also to share, share the burden of trying to produce something uh, this mass. Yeah, you can, you can get, it's so easy to get lost, I think. And it just, it's just basically provides, it's it's like a, it's a, a compass, like, so that we never get lost. If something's bothering, you know, I was like, I'll just be like, is that bothering you? And he'll, if he says no, then I know I'm just kind of lost and focusing on something I shouldn't be focusing on. But if it's bothering him, then I know it's a problem and we have to, fix it. And usually this doesn't even require verbal communication. It can just be a look because you have to move so fast on set. So I honestly don't know how anyone does it without a partner. Um, I'm always amazed, especially the right, right, you know, writing without a partner, writing without a team um, or directing even without it. It just, everyone is sort of, you're always dealing with insecurity and it just your own insecurities and it just helps to have someone at your side the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's just to process it. Well, this show, yeah. this show is so big and the world is so big, but yet it's so simple, which is what I think just resonates. And the, sim- the simpleness of it is it's just like kids and there's some part of their uh, existence that's familiar to everybody. And certainly for m- being Gen X, I mean, when you're talking about a camera, I mean, we had Fisher Price. <laughs> I don't even know what we had. Like those pixelated cameras came along or whatever. Uh, I mean, now I yeah. see you're so right. You see kids, my kids can shoot on a iPhone, a whole movie, and it's just like a different, a different world. Spielberg is doing that for real. For I real. just got the new, whatever, the new iPhone 13. I can't believe how good it looks. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's unreal. Yeah, it's 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 a whole different, just every, yeah, every it up levels every time. Yeah. But, I want to ask you why the 80s. So I know that the show takes place, it starts in 1982, and um, you take us through that decade. So for you, what what was it about the 80s? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we were born, we were born in 84. And so we're more 90s kids. Mm -hmm. When we were the age of the Stranger Things kids, it was it was the 90s for us. So, but I do have this nostalgia because when I fell in love with movies, it was watching. I mean, like Matt mentioned, Batman was the late 80s, but Goonies and all of these films are, that defies my childhood as much as anything. Um, and, and those filmmakers at the time, obviously Spielberg. And we felt like this was, um, it made sense to, it, it made sense for the story that we wanted to tell, but it also made sense that we could pay homage to um, the type of filmmaking and type of stories that made us want to do this in the first place. And plus, for all of us Gen Xers, it's amazing to look at all this stuff and just be like, I had that. You know, I love that part about the show and the music references and and especially yeah. in, in season four, all of those, I guess the kids would call them Easter eggs, uh, is really exciting. And some of those music things and 
some of those images reminded me of a lot of other things. I was like, oh, I think I got that, but I'm not going to say that stuff out loud. We'll do that for the the next yeah. time I have you on. We, we break it all down. I'll pick some things out of a hat and we'll go one by one. But um, an interesting thing, really one of the giant successes also in anything that, that has this kind of longevity is the writing and the world you're creating. But I haven't, I, I can't remember the last time I kind of witnessed a show that when it hit was so huge. And I remember whether it was the first Golden Globes and you had movie stars like jumping over each other to meet 11, uh, right. you know, <laughs> and Millie, yeah. I think Millie Bobby Brown, obviously, who is 11, was 12 or maybe 13 yeah. at the time. Yeah. And well, it yeah. was just people were elbowing to, to get there and, and not really for my kids. It was just for them. And what's incredible is that every and even the time, obviously, these, these it's, it's not like kind of the episodic stuff I grew up with where there's 22 on the air and next year there's 20, another 22. There's been some pauses in between obviously the season drops and it's incredible that it's it's still in the zeitgeist it's still just as uh relevant and when it drops everyone's just exact they're thrilled and so excited that it's coming and i want to talk about that because i think a lot of it has to do with casting as well as the writing in the world and the way you change it up every season it's not like it's all familiar again you're not like going back the only thing that's familiar is the kids and actually they're not because they're getting older that's right (laughs) yeah which is well i think and that's you know i think that as much as I would like to freeze them in that age they were in, you know, season one, because they're so adorable. And whenever I look back, I'm, you know, it makes me miss them at that age. But it, you know, it's it's good in the sense that it forces the show to evolve. It forces the writing to evolve. And I don't think we want to be in a position where we're repeating ourselves. And I think some of it also is, you know, as I said, we grew up movie guys watching movies. And so more of it is, we're trying to evoke the feeling that we got from watching movie sequels more than we did from season two of a television show, just because that's our more point of reference, not that there's anything um, wrong with TV. So that's why, you know, when Stranger Things, this, the second season came out, we, you know, we're like, let's call it, we want to call it Stranger Things too, because we want it to be its own thing. I've always liked the idea of people not arguing about whether they like or dislike Stranger Things, but arguing over which season they like or don't like. I like that aspect of it. I like the fact that three season three feels so different than season two, and four is a really dramatic departure from three. Um, I'll, I, all of that is really purposeful, and it's also just to make sure we don't get bored and the cast doesn't get bored. We want to keep trying d- different things. The writers will want to try different things. Um, because it takes it takes so long. So I think what what you were saying, what we're trying not to do is uh, repeat ourselves too much. And and if we look back at our favorite movie sequels, whether it's in uh, Aliens or Terminator Two or you know Godfather Part Two or Empire Strikes Back, the greatest movie sequels always do change it up. It's not a retread, and it feels different, and the tone feels different. And so that's what we've been trying to do each season. And like Matt said, just continue to challenge ourselves and make and give everyone, yeah, something something new to try each season. So that's been fun because obviously we've been doing this for a while now. So what is it like to to? I would imagine that as the 
actors as kids as they evolve. I mean, it is kind of like Harry Potter, I guess, would be the only kind of uh, accurate Yes, comparison, it is the right? best reference we because have. Yeah. You, because you're watching these kids really grow up. And I imagine as a writer, they're different in your... How is that to, to write for the maturity? <laughs> yeah. Like how they've... I know. it's I, The only time it really messed us up was season three because we came to set and they were not how I imagined them in my head. Like, because we were still writing like season two and we had to quickly kind of scramble and do a little bit of rewrite season four we had a lot more time to write on and i think it helps because we were we were shot for about three weeks or something three and a half weeks and then got shut down because of covid and we were able to we we saw what all the kids were like we were able to go back and revisit and rework and we also um, all the material sorry and we also learned from the from the three experience of okay so we try to as opposed to imagining as we're writing it imagine what they were in three, we went, okay, they're going to be older than we're even expecting them to be. And so we really, and that really helped inform, I think, the tone uh, and story of, of the season, just taking those lessons that we had learned. Well, I was like, I was like, oh, wait, I can't think of them in my, it's, I guess in how anyone thinks of their own kids, right? You're like, I just, you keep thinking of them as kids. They're not kids anymore. I mean, they really are full-blown teenagers. They're the age of Joe Keery when we first cast him as Steve. I mean, they're young adults and that's why this season we leaned more into the horror because i figured they're that's what they should be and they should be in their own nightmare on elm street basically because season one we when we pitched it to netflix uh, all those years ago we that's we pitched as the kids are they're in the goonies in, in et that's their storyline and the adults are in jaws and then we have the uh, jaws and close encounters and then the the yeah the teens are like in nightmare on elm street or halloween and so this year we don't have the kids we can't do the goonies anymore and so suddenly we're we're leaning much harder into that horror movie territory that Mm -hmm. we love so it's been it was fun to make that that change all right winona Ryder. So come on, that was our end all be all i mean i can't i i can you know just talk about Winona Ryder for an entire podcast. So what was her favorite film of yours and how did you get her cast in this? Because it is just so delicious to see her in this role. Yeah, I don't know. It was so we have an amazing casting director, Carmen Cuba, and she she suggested Winona. But, you know, seven years ago, this was seven years ago or so. I mean, Winona wasn't acting in a lot like she mm-hmm. kind of she's one of those actors that we all grew up on and that we all loved and had so much nostalgia for and i missed her on screen and so immediately we thought that's an amazing idea but she had never done television before so that was the big thing we were all worried whether she would agree to do television it did turn out that was that was sort of the hang up, whether she was going to do that or not, whether she would commit to a television show. But luckily she just, and Ross and I, we had had one movie that was um, not even released by Warner Brothers. So it's not like we were a hot commodity. So we just basically pitched her in the same way we pitched Netflix. We sent her this pitch document that, that we made that had some pretty pictures in it that had E.T. and Jaws and all the John Carpenter that tried to capture the aesthetic of the show. We sent her a fake trailer for how the show would feel. All the stuff we sent Netflix. And then we sent her the script. And you know, luckily she responded to all that. And then we had like a four and a half hour meeting with her 
which was just, it was hard to even speak because you're sitting next to Winona Ryder <laughs> and uh, trying to be cool. Um, and I don't know why she, you'd have to ask her why she said yes, but she said yes. And um, it was amazing that day when she, because yeah, I think that completely transformed the show. It wasn't initially how we imagined that character of Joyce. It was more of kind of, wasn't that interesting of a character until we cast Winona. I think when you were touching on like how important the casting was, Winona is like the, the first thing that comes to mind because it, I, you know, once you have Winona, I'm like, okay, first of all, this role better be amazing to deserve Winona. And, and second of all, Winona, she's such, so unique and such a unique actress that we wanted to lean into her skill set And so she became, she was just sort of a mom whose son was missing. And then she became Richard Dreyfuss in Close Encounters, you know, and that's where we came up with all the Christmas light stuff. And I don't know if any of that would, I don't have existed so. had we not had, had Winona said no to the role. It was just imagining her in all these scenarios started to open up a much more interesting character than just like mom who wants her kid back. And I think that was uh, the case for a lot of the characters in the pilot, pilot where they were just there were they were the sketches of who they would become on the page. But once we cast people, we go, oh, this is so much more interesting than, than what we had on the page. And they just continue to evolve. And uh, these actors just keep informing who the characters are. So that, that's been a fun part of the process. Oh, so fun. And you're also responsible for my son playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, something okay. that I wildly mocked <laughs> for years. And now I have a Dungeons and Dragon. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty fun. I'm glad we were able to get some more a bit, an epic D and D game in uh, this season. Yeah, yeah. This we made, we 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 made Dungeons Dragons look Dungeons and Dragons look cooler this year. We, oh yeah, we made the most action packed D and D. He's going to he's going to be very excited. Uh, also, so back to season three. I mean, I know we've been skipping around a little bit, but. Uh, you also introduced the first openly LGBTQ plus character with Maya Hawk uh, in Robin, and and that character kind of really became a breakout, very popular character. Obviously, brilliantly played um, by Maya. Maya Hawk. Another one where I'm like, you know, we're all is that Uma? Is that Ethan in there or whatever? And she's her own person, which is so great. Yeah. You know, you kind of see glimpses of her parents, but not really. Yeah. And uh, no, but are those like how? Like these conversations must come up because you are a show for with teenagers, for teenagers and also parents and, and other just fans. But how do you um, how do you think about diversity in terms of your storytelling? Um, well, I mean, in the in the case of Robin, I mean, some of it also just comes out of just natural storytelling instinct, which is, you know, we wanted to give Steve someone to play off of that season. And I don't remember who was the first person that pitched that this maybe isn't just a traditional love interest. And then we sort of fell in love with it, but we didn't want it. It's not that we wanted a twist. We wanted you to just fall in love with this, with Robin as a person and not be defined specifically by her sexuality, which is why we delayed it for, for so, for so that, I guess, quote unquote, reveal for so long. But even once that reveal came, we wanted to play it off with Steve as, oh, this isn't, okay, that's not, this isn't some earth shattering reveal. And I think that scene, the bathroom scene, we are really happy with, but that's probably, I would say the longest we've ever worked on a scene before. Just so many 
you know, usually we do a couple passes, uh, you know, on a scene, but that one was Matt and I batted that one back and forth for a long time, just because you don't want it. You, you want to strike the right balance and you don't want it. You didn't want it to be a, like a, a gotcha moment or mm-hmm. we're pulling the rug out from the audience or be too cute about it. You wanted it to have that sort of John Hughes sincerity to it. And so anyways, that, that's sort of how, how, how the Robin came, thing came about. And then of course, Maya um, played her brilliantly. We love Maya so much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, so much, yeah. So much credit has to go to Maya for Robin working yeah. as well as she did. And I mean, I think, I think Maya felt a lot of pressure. Everybody felt a lot of pressure because it was like, Oh man, you don't want to introduce this major character um, and have that character not go down well or not be you know, not be embraced by the fandom. But one day, I mean, I wasn't worried one day into shooting. I was like, Oh, Maya's gold. This is gold. And then she is such a unique voice that we, you know, and this is what happens with casting is, you know, we started to hear her, we started to work with her, and then we just infused way more Maya into the character of of Robin, who was sort of more of that dry, fast times, smart alecky character. Again, a little bit more one dimensional, and Maya is anything but one dimensional. She talks really fast. She's incredibly sharp, witty, intelligent, uh, quirky. She's very, very funny. Um, and so we wanted to put, to write to her strengths. And anyway, once we started doing that, Maya, Maya at some one, one point was like, are you writing Robin or are you writing me? And I'm like, well, <laughs> like we're writing a little bit of, a little bit of both. And, um, what we got, and then we got into a rhythm with her and she's, she's also amazing. I really, really amazing season four. So she's just a pleasure mm-hmm. to work with. Yes. But we're, yeah, we're really happy with how that turned out. We were all nervous about that. Yeah. Anytime Robin's in a scene, Matt and I sit up, we're always just so happy to write her. She's that's such a fun voice. Um, but yeah, that's. And you can write a giant monologue and, and it, it's not going to take a minute. You know, it'll probably, it'll all come out in about 20 seconds, <laughs> um, yeah. 15 seconds. She's fast talker. I love that. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, you guys, every season is different. It's its own. I'd like to say it's a it's a super long movie broken up in hour right. segments. Uh, but how do you go about deciding? I mean, other than we're in the 80s, how do you go about deciding the themes? Because it feels like obviously every season kind of has an overarching theme. Well, you know, sometimes the, the conversations begin a lot of the time with the, where we talk about when we can start shooting and when the show would release. I mean, that, so season two, we realized early on that that was going to end up becoming, uh, you know, we could get it out around Halloween. And then that sort of informs the mood of it, if you will. And then for season two, though, in terms of tone, obviously Halloween informed, but also this idea, we wanted to not just brush over the events from season one, that would be traumatic for someone. And so we wanted them to respond to those events in a real way. So that sort of became about the trauma that they had experienced and that it's literally under, you know, under the ground, like they can't see it, but it's there and they have to deal with it. So that's how season two came about in the same, in, in, in a very different way, but season three became about summer. We knew it was going to come out in summer and Hey, let's do this. What if we do make season three feel like one of these big, 
um, summer blockbusters that we fell in love with in the 80s. And so that really ended up informing uh, that tone. And in season two, there was so much darkness. And it's like, let's let's have a little let's have a little fun this season. And thematically, like season season four, um, the kids are in high school and I don't know. You know, it varies on who you talk to. Ross and I had a bad high school experience, like a lot of kids. So to me, high school is dark. I mean, that's when you're dealing, a lot of a lot of teenagers are dealing with real emotional issues, um, anxiety, um, depression. And so we wanted to tackle all of that and kind of have this supernatural threat represent that. So in a way, high school naturally lent itself to what is without question, the darkest season yet. Mm. Well, I know that there is so much chatter around what's coming. Do you have a fan favorite theory that you've heard about this upcoming season? I don't want to say because some of them are (laughs) dead wrong and some of them are frighteningly accurate. So I don't want to say which one. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly impressed with how sharp the fans are and how quickly they're able to put something together with very, very little information. It's, but mostly they're just impatient for season four. <laughs> so, but I think they'll be happy when they see it. It's very, very long, which is why it's taking us a very long time. Yeah. yeah. So there is one more season after this, right? And then it's. Right. That's right. And then it's goodbye. And then it's goodbye. All right. So, Matt and Ross, how have you changed over the course of this? How how has your own kind of um, process evolved, either with um, each other and individually? Well, it's interesting. I mean, certainly, I think, you know, we've refined it, it, especially with the writing and everything. We've sort of tried to refine the process as much as we can in order to um both expedite and just make it as least stressful as possible. But it's like every season you learn something new and you're like, Oh, well, so next, the next season is going to be smoother. But of course, every season, you know, brings its own challenges, but we do kind of in part of that, we bring it on ourselves. When we're in the writer's room, we come up with ideas and we go, well, that's going to be a a nightmare to try to do that, (laughs) uh, to film that. And, but we try to, separate those parts of our parts of our brain so we always end up giving ourselves new challenges so we learn new things every year and and we do apply them to the following year but again every year is just sort of you know new new challenges but certainly that season one we were just we had never done this before and so we had worked you know for a few months we'd worked for a few months on on a show for fox and that's it we never run our own show and so it was just you know we were just learning learning as we were going but there was something really freeing and exciting about that and now it's about yeah just refining that process as much as we can i would say it's it doesn't act it doesn't get any less stressful as you go <laughs> um i mean yeah you know some stresses are relieved and they're replaced by uh new stresses so and and the challenge of the production because of the scope of what we're writing. And so it's all, there's always a learning curve and you're always on set wondering how you're going to do it and how you're going to make your day. We're maybe, uh, you know, a little bit more confident in terms of um, speaking my mind and knowing more about how visual effects works, more comfortable around the actors than we were season one. But 
the goal ultimately is it for for it to feel the same uh not worry about all the other noise as much as possible which i was i was kind of you know even even amidst the success of season one in the aftermath that just felt like a daze to me like i wasn't i wouldn't say i wasn't enjoying it because it was amazing but it was just so surreal and i couldn't even really process it and the most happy i am is in the you know when something really works either in on set or an editorial or in the writing of the writing of the scene like that's the ultimate high i guess which feels exactly the same as the high i would get in fourth grade like exact identical even though the only we had about six people watching those movies our parents <laughs> and our friends parents and it felt the same so i'm like okay well so that's the best this is going to get and that's ultimately why we're doing this is just to chase that same feeling we had when we were kids so as much as possible i'm like just you shut out twitter and you shut out all of that and you just try to focus on the creation of the show and just getting enjoyment out of that and as soon as that's not fun anymore that's a problem but right now it's still really really fun but that's why we want to end on 5 we don't want to do this past the point of kind of a running out of story to tell and just not no longer having passion for this particular story we still have a ton left and we're going to leave and be upset that we're leaving it but i think that's the right place to leave i know even talking to the actors already about about season five it'll be it'll be an emotional journey it's been a it's been a a long journey for all of us and so and we've all been in it together and again most of us you know winona being the exceptions came into that uh, not having a lot of success. And so it's really been qu quite, quite the, well, ride. I mean, most of them were like kids, kids. Yeah. <laughs> so they had, they, they're very successful, but they, yeah, yeah no, none of us had experienced any of this. So with that, I think that's connected. And, and one reason the cast is as close as they are and the kids are as close because they're all, they're all going through this together. And unlike kids who pop in movies, like these are kids who, you know, are, they're can they've been connected and with each other for seven years i mean they get little they get little breaks and then they're brought back together and i don't know so it's it's this really nice family and but it's kind of like we're going to be ending the show as the kids in real life would be going off to college so it's like okay you know it's done and you're off on your own and i'm not worried about a single one of them i think they're all going to be great. no but it'll still be it'll be sad though yeah that last the last shot we think we know what the last shot is it's gonna be really sad to shoot oh. <laughs> Come on, yeah. that's so good. All right. Well, this season, every season I have a theme I talk about. Um, yeah. Last season, it was fear. And right. this season, it's ambition. So I'd like to talk to you about ambition. And what uh, specifically, I've got a couple questions around this, but what does your ambition look like now as opposed to when you first started out in the business and you got that you know, let's just right. say Netflix greenlit Stranger Things and you got Winona, like your ambition at that point compared to where you are now. Right. The goal at that point was just to let, have someone let us make something. You know, I mean, that was just we were just amazed that someone was allowing us to to make something. And now actually it's sort of the same, which is just to be allowed to continue to make stuff because that is such a privilege to be able to write something that pops into our heads that's made up put it down on paper and then get the support for, you know to to actually bring it to life i think that's the and 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 also we 
you know, like I said, I mean, it's, it's weird. It does change because initially we really wanted to do movies. And I think everyone's assuming that we're going to go off and do movies now. And I don't know. I mean, I'm also in love with long form storytelling. I'm in love with how the medium is changing, how a story doesn't have to be an hour and a half or two hours. Like maybe it's, maybe it's four hours, maybe it's five hours. So there's a lot, you know, we're just following what, following whatever our passion is in the moment whatever it is that gets us excited and it's changing every single day. So it's hard to know what we're going to do after stranger things, but I don't, but a, a lot of the creators that we're talking to sort of have share the same feeling that we have, which is we're excited by um, the narrative possibilities of um, well, I really what's, what streaming is allowing and how, much more cinematic TV is coming. When we were growing up, uh, there were brilliant TV shows, but it really has changed in recent years. And that's exciting to us to just keep pushing what you can expect out of that, out of that medium. I think, like Matt said, I think we're just really scratching the surface now, but honestly, one reason we came up with the show in the first place is, you know, watching uh, Steven Soderbergh's The Nick. And we saw the trailer for, um, True Detective, and we went. Wait a minute. Something we felt something was something was changing, and you know, House of Cards was coming out, and you could just feel something in the air was changing, and that change is still happening right now as we speak. And obviously, Netflix, you know, saw it long before we did, but we wanted to be part of that, which is one reason we came up with Stranger Things, and we still want to be part of that, and part of that, you know, continuing to evolve medium and in this blurring of what what is a what is a movie and, and what is a what is a tv show and what is it now and i think that that's to me that's exciting that we're sort of a little bit in uncharted territory and we want to keep being a part of that if we can mm. how, how do you navigate your individual ambitions and then collectively as as <laughs> creative partners <laughs> well i think we're we're pretty aligned uh, in terms of, um, <laughs> that's what I'll say. Tech. No, we are, I, we don't, listen, everyone, we, we, we do disagree, but on, in terms of the big thing, in terms of what really excites us, we're typically excited by the same thing. And this goes back to us again, being identical twins. We, you know, we play the same video games. We usually like the same, if he likes a TV show and says, you got to watch this, I know, chances are good that I'm also going to like it because we grew up in the same environment, watching the same stuff. And then we've been making stuff together for so long. So that's not, I don't see that foresee that being, being, being an issue in terms of him wanting to do something that I don't want to <laughs> do. Also would be totally dysfunctional yeah. working apart. I don't think it would be very good uh, if I were tasked with writing and directing something all by myself. Do you guys the have the same favorite yeah. foods? Yeah, we do. Uh, I would say <laughs> no. It's, it's a thing. If we go out at a restaurant, it's just he'll order, and I'll just go. Damn it, you know, I got to change my order because then I don't <laughs> want people to make fun of me. Whether we the same drink orders, we have the same. You know, it's it's what's the same. The drink? I mean, I, what's the drink? What's the drink? I you know I know who knows whatever cocktails on the. I mean, it's, they'll have like eight unique cocktails that are just made for that, whatever that is at that restaurant. And he'll pick out the same one that I want. Ah, got it. Uh, got I think it. we're traumatized from, you know, being, when you're, when you're really young and you're a twin, 
people there was definitely there's a lot of staring and pointing actually there are more twins now than there were back when we were growing up but there is a lot of staring and pointing and you know can you read each other's minds and so we're a little bit uh i think probably still traumatized from all of that but at least <laughs> we can now answer whether we're identical or not because that's when you you we got so much growing up i don't know why we didn't know but at least we do now <laughs> i love that all right so um this is my last question yeah. And then I'll let you guys get back to editing because it's really important that you finish this season. And I yeah. really appreciate your time. So and you kind of start, you know, Matt, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning. But now that we do have the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 15 or whatever is going to be coming, you know, it's in a, in a week or two or whatever it is. The, right. the equipment keeps getting sophisticated. So anybody can shoot something that looks brilliant. And we are all, you know, I know this with, with photography. Everyone's, you know, on Instagram. Isn't my image amazing? It's just as good as any of the other uh uh, professional photographer. So what advice do you have for someone that is in kindergarten right now watching or, or or someone that is a teenager watching Stranger Things that wants to make a movie that just or wants to make a television show that is so jazzed about this world? What advice do you have for them? I I would tell them to just make stuff, make and write stuff as much as you can. I mean, that, 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 that's really what we do. I, I mean, that, and that's what we do now. And that's what we've always done. Um, you have to fail a ton. You know, I think that that's something that some people don't, it was, I mean, it was a little bit of a shock to us early on, but it was like, yeah, you're going to make stuff and write stuff that doesn't work. Um, I don't think most people, the first thing that they put out works, the first thing that they write works. So you have to fall down a lot, get up a lot. Doors are slammed in your face. This is not for the kindergartners. <laughs> Hopefully the new doors are getting shut. If you're a kindergartner, just have fun. Just makes just it's just playtime. Just playtime with your camera, your fancy iPhone, whatever, whatever your mom allows you to have. I don't know what kindergartners allowed to have. But uh, just go make stuff, have fun. It's just play, right? At that point. But you learn, I think you learn you learn a lot from that, from that play. And then, you know, watch, watch movies. I'm even, I even, you know, I'm like play video games, all of that. Um, you know, informs you and you're soaking, you're soaking it in and you're learning how storytelling works. And, and then, not, I would say not just the stuff from today. I think, you know, we were, there was an amazing filmmaker that told us he's, you know, and we're still learning too. He said, stop just watching my films, go back, watch the masters. And again, I, obviously you've, we've seen the big ones, but there's, there was a lot of, spots in there that we hadn't seen and it's been really eye-opening to to go back um and watch these old films although now i'm sad because to a kid like the 80s is old right and i mean so, i was I, just gonna say uh ross yet. clarify old are we talking 40s oh, are I, we talking I'm like talking, you know i'm talking for, okay, for 70s for a, kinder, a kindergarten even not a kindergarten <laughs> but like say they're say they're in like middle school now they can dive start diving into the 70s yeah, um, I they, think they would they start can go to learn. back. I mean, and, I, and if daring, they go go back to the '60s. I think any movie that works, even thir even even in the 1920s, whatever, if it works, if it if it works, it works as a movie. And storytelling hasn't. It's 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 fun. It's fun to watch how you know a lot of people always point out our influences, you know, because they're so you know we tip our hat everywhere to the people who, and filmmakers who inspired us, but they were all, they were inspired by, everybody was inspired. And as, as 
sort of riffing on their favorite filmmakers or storytellers who they grew up with as kids. So it's fun to kind of track how storytelling is passed like a baton down from one generation to the other. So watch a lot of movies and and make a lot of stuff. I don't, you know, especially with this technology, now there's no excuse. You can go out and make something that does look pretty good. The only, I will say it does, but always that advice I would hear when I was younger, because even there was kind of good cameras coming out at our time. There's like the, the XL, the Canon XL one, mm-hmm. I don't know, like they shot like 28 days later on it. And it's like, anybody can just go out and make a move and make a movie and it, you know, make 28 days later. It's like, no, you can't. I don't agree with that. I don't think, I think you need the, the sound, the sound, the crew, the lighting, you got to feed people, the cast. It's not that easy, but you can practice and you can learn and then you can, anyone can write. Writing is free, right? I mean, free except for the time that it takes. And I think the only thing I wish someone had told us earlier is, you know, put down the camera every once in a while and start trying to write the movie. And then you're not limited by anything. You're not limited by budget. You can write the biggest movie in the world. You love a Marvel movie. You can write uh, you know, you can basically, you can write a Marvel movie. You can write whatever you want on the page. It's so, we, it took us until we were juniors in college until we started to try to figure out how to write. And at that, and it takes a long time. I mean, that it's really hard um, to learn how to write a film or write a show. So the earlier you start that, the better. I think if you're in high school, start writing. A lot of lot of good looking films in film school with really bad stories. That's what I would say. Bad writing. Yeah. yeah bad. bad writing. I mean, there's like <laughs> writing, writing and casting. It's like that. You know, you got to learn how to do that, and then and then and then you're you're mo- almost, you're not all the way there, but you're really um, pretty far if you if you if you get a good cast and you have a good script. Then it's harder to screw it up at that point. If, if the script is bad, you're you're met, you're screwed from the start. If the cast is bad, you're screwed. Hmm. You know. Okay, so you can work with anybody on your next project, whatever that is. Of all the films oh you've seen and all the historical, dead or alive, who would you guys want to work with? Oh my lord, that's a good question. That's a really good question. What do you think? I don't know. It's it's really tough. Dead or alive? No, it's tough. I mean, are we talking? Are we talking, Chris? Are we talking like an actor, or are we talking anybody? Anybody. I think you pick an actor. Who would you? Who would you do? I think it'd be fun. I'm. I'm trying to think. Like, I, I would love to bring back. It'd be. Oh. It would be great to work with. Like, I'm thinking, Bogart. Yeah. Or, well, I, you know, I've been doing on my Steve McQueen run, so that would that would be a fun one. And then obviously there's Harrison Ford, which is just would be would be incredible, just be incredible. Yeah. Anyway, there's almost too many to name. My mind's just racing. It's so fun, but um, you know, hey man, Winona was on that list, so dreams can come true. Oh, the voice on Winona! Just the second you hear her speak, it's like Winona. It's so it's, unique. Yes. She's just so amazing. Yeah, it's funny. Matt's uh, has a newborn, and the baby met Winona a couple weeks ago for the first time. And even the baby, she, I've never seen her smile like that with anyone. 
just it's there's something about her she just it, um it, she's really magnetic presence it's really amazing yeah. even you know even now knowing her for seven it's still is still trippy to get a text yeah. message yeah. from winona Ryder. just like what it's, it's you never i you you never get used to it yeah. and if you go out and you know it's how special she is is like even if, if you go out to a restaurant with her it's like even this is a like all eyes go to winona because she just i don't know there's something really really special with her about her so hopefully post stranger things it's not it's not stranger things is not our last winona Ryder project because <laughs> we just we just love her yeah and she's she's incredible. I mean, she's always incredible, but um, she's awesome in season four. Yeah, she's so. So fun. I can't wait for her people to see that. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. I I love our time. Thank you so much, Matt and Ross. I love the it Duffer Brothers. <laughs> I'm so excited. I got to to meet you and and talk with you. And I can't wait to see you out in the world. Yes, thanks so much. This is our first time talking with anyone about season four. Stranger Things Season 4, Part 1, is coming to Netflix May 27th. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 